Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Monday, January 18th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host, Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. We're take a look at the opening numbers here, the early week numbers for the NFC and the AFC championship games, then get into all college basketball for the rest of the show. Got a lot of great thoughts for you. Going to break down some games coming up here this week. Should be a whole lot of fun with a lot of great information here on today's podcast. Speaking of great information, there's a lot of that over at ATS.io. Put up my opening line report for the conference championship weekend in the NFL. Golf preview for the American Express will go up here this afternoon. We've also been doing a lot of state-specific articles in terms of where you can bet if your state doesn't have sports betting. What can you do? Where can you go that's nearby in order to place your wagers? Been doing a lot of content like that here over the last few days over at ATS.io. We encourage you to check that out. A new round of sportsbook promotions will be coming out here this week. We'll be covering those as well. And make sure you download the ATS app, which you can find in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Full article integration from the website, but also in the app, a bet tracker, an odd screen with U.S. sports books in it. And then, of course, a stats database to really help you get down to the nitty gritty here of these handicaps. If you don't want to do the handicapping for yourself or maybe you want some different opinions, you can subscribe to the premium model in there, $9.99 a week, $19.99 a month to get those picks delivered right there in the app. So great stuff in that ATS app, which again is available in the Google Play Store or in the Apple Store. Click on the ATS app page over at ATS.io and find easy links to download the app over there. With that, we bring on today's guest. That is professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from huntersportspicks.com. And Kyle, how's it going today, man? Going pretty well. How about yourself, Adam? Going pretty well, buddy. I hear you uh, You had some collateral damage last night with, with a, uh, breaking up a fight between your two kids. Good for you, man. <laughs> yeah, um, things get a little bit ugly around here when they, they're around each other for too long. We've got the... Uh, the four-year-old daughter is the really tough instigator and the seven-year-old boy is the the big kid who usually doesn't do anything but occasionally snaps so sometimes we can uh sometimes things get a little bit ugly and they did last night so uh i think this this long weekend of them all together is as uh catching up to them maybe just celebrating the return of ufc which returned here on saturday yeah. of course another fight card coming up midweek here on wednesday I'll have a preview of that over at ATS.io later today as well. But uh, speaking of physical sports, the NFL, we are down to the final four here. The NFC Championship game on Sunday in that 3 o'clock window. AFC Championship game in primetime starting sometime around 645 or so. Battle of the Bays here in the NFC Championship game. Tampa Bay heads up to Green Bay to Lambeau Field to take on Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. Tom Brady's bunch pretty much a three and a half point underdog across the u.s market there are some fours out there in the global market total of 51 for this one kyle i know that you haven't really dug too deep into these nfl handicaps here so far but what are your initial thoughts on this tampa bay green bay matchup so i mean i think tampa bay nice win at at new orleans certainly i had the saints in that game i'm not really sure that was the wrong side but um breeze was really bad you know um you're wondering there late in the game if if they'd have been better off with Winston and I know it sounds kind of funny to say but you know if Breeze is just going to throw interceptions 
one after the other and not even be able to stretch the field. Um, you know, it makes it hard because Tampa Bay was really playing uh, for those short passes. They knew they were coming. And, you know, after a while, when you only throw the ball five or six yards every play, um, a lot of NFL defenses can can read those pretty well. And uh, the Saints were struggling to move the ball late in the game. Tampa Bay scored 21 points off those turnovers. You know, I think Tampa Bay's defense was probably better than they've been in a lot of games. They were healthier than they have been. So you have to give their defense credit. And then obviously the offense, you know, they were um, able to take advantage of those mistakes. Brady wasn't great in that game, but he was good enough. Uh, the running game was pretty decent. You know, Fournette was pretty good in that game, really. Uh, I think Green Bay looked looked solid there on um, Saturday against the Rams. I know that the Rams were shorthanded a bit, but the Green Bay offense impressed me quite a bit against the Rams there in that one because even with Aaron Donald, Donald not 100%, that Rams defense is good, and Green Bay moved the ball very easily in that game. So I tend to think that Green Bay is going to get their points and this one against Tampa Bay. So the question is if you think Tampa Bay can can score quite a few or not. The total here at 51, um, my, my strongest lean here is uh, Green Bay. Um, three and a half or four certainly want to get to three and a half if you can because four is a pretty common number in the NFL so my lean is Green Bay I don't think I have a lean on the the total in that game right now yeah obviously you know when it comes to a total standpoint for both of these games you know we're talking about Green Bay we're talking about Kansas City weather could be a significant factor in both of these not a high degree of confidence in the forecast six days out but it looks like wind could be a factor in both of these games so you know, it's definitely understandable to not have strong thoughts on the total. As far as the side goes, you know, initially I, I do like Green Bay here in this one. You know, I mean, when you look at Tampa Bay, when you look at a team that was plus four in turnover margin, you would kind of expect more than a 10-point victory, what the Buccaneers had there over the Saints. The Saints, 4.9 yards per play to 4.6 for the Buccaneers. Would have been a really horrific uh, bad beat on the under if that game would have found a way to get over the total. But Tampa Bay... You know, three for six in their red zone chances, had three touchdowns, three field goal attempts. And, you know, this is something to me where you better get sixes against Green Bay. You know, you mentioned the Saints, their inability to stretch the field. Tampa Bay took away Michael Thomas. That made things very, very difficult for the Saints. Can Tampa Bay do the same thing taking away Devontae Adams? If they do, well, then that makes things a little bit more difficult for Aaron Rodgers. But I think Rodgers, you know, at this stage of his career compared to Drew Brees, he can improvise a lot more. He can do a lot more things on the move. You know, we know that pretty much year in and year out, he finds some under the radar type of dude and makes him a star. Maybe Robert Tunyon is that guy for him this year. I do like Green Bay here in this game. I think Green Bay has the opportunity to play from in front. And I think that's something that should benefit them greatly in this one. And also too, you know, I know Brady won't really be affected by the weather, or at least he shouldn't be from all those bad weather games he played in Foxborough. But what about everybody else for the Buccaneers? You know, what about these skill guys that, you know, have to try and create separation when the wind chills are probably going to be in the, you know, low to mid teens. So I think Green Bay is, is in a pretty good spot here. I think they're a very good team, a very well-coached team. That'd be the way I would look here. And I think four across the board is probably where this number is going. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is where do you think this – I don't think we get a three here. I'd love to see a three on Green Bay, but – seems like too much of the public would, would like Green Bay for it to be at three for long, even if it did touch it. But um, the total probably edges down if the forecast stays the same. Um, you know, I, 
I can't take an under in this game. I don't think um, my lean would be the over, but I don't want to take the over with possible bad weather. I don't think that Tampa Bay can stop Devontae Adams the same way that they did Michael Thomas. And and certainly uh, Rogers is on a different level than Drew Brees at this stage in his career. So I'd be really surprised if Tampa Bay can shut them down in the same way. So I'll lean uh, pretty strongly here with Green Bay here early in the week. Green Bay, 6.7 yards per play against wow. that Rams defense that I believe was number one in the NFL in yards per play allowed. So Green Bay definitely had a great game plan, moved the ball effectively in that one. We'll see if they do the same here against the Buccaneers. This second game, I mean, look, it, it's very hard to talk about the current number for this game because the most important player in the game is questionable, and that is Patrick Mahomes, quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs. I guess you can make a case that maybe Josh Allen would be worth more to his individual team just because of you know the difference between him and the backup and, and you know all of that, but – Still, Mahomes, a massive question mark for this one. Three, the current number. Total as low as 53 and a half out there in the global marketplace, mostly 54 in the U.S. market. But, you know, obviously this is a game where, where it's really just all predicated on what happens in the news cycle as we go forward. Yeah, I was going to say, how do you bet this game early in the week? I just, I couldn't do it. Um, you know, it would just be a guess. You know, you're taking a chance on an injury. Um, to me... I guess the question is, you know, what would this line have been if Mahomes was totally healthy? What's this line if if Henny starts? Um, I guess I'd ask you, where, where do you think Henny ranks as far as backup quarterbacks? Do you think he's an average backup quarterback, better than average? What do you think he is? You know, that's that's a really good question because, you know, he'll be well prepared. I mean, you know that that's just kind of a staple there with Andy Reid. And Henny's a guy that's been around a long time, seems like a pretty cerebral guy, a guy that understands the position well um you know but keep in mind you know that's a guy that eh, it's not like he's played in spots like this and you know his start in week 17 i think they said on the broadcast was his first start since 2014 or something like that so i guess i would say he's maybe in the upper you know upper half maybe borderline top 10 of backup quarterbacks around the league just because he's been around and for this individual scenario uh, you know he'll be well prepared because andy reed's the head coach yeah, I was, I was going to say he's either average or maybe just a little bit better than average myself. So I do think some people might be overstating it a little bit because I've heard some people think that he's one of the best backups. I don't think he did anything yesterday that immediately makes him, you know, one of the best backups in the league. Um, you know, Buffalo's defense is not great. They are better than the, the Browns defense. The Browns had a great offense. They need to fix the defense like you tweeted yesterday. I mean, this, the Browns defense needs to be better. And if they are, uh, they could do some damage. It certainly had a really good season. You know, Buffalo surprisingly only had 4.0 yards per play there against the Ravens the other night. I think it's fair to say that's at least somewhat because they didn't really have to move the ball more than they did. Um, you know, the Ravens really couldn't do very much, and, and the wind was a factor in that game. I do think that if Mahomes is healthy, and there's decent weather in this game, both teams will score quite a few points. So my lean would be to over 54. At the same time, I don't want to bet it early in the week for multiple reasons. Mahomes' injury is such a big key. I think if Mahomes were healthy here, completely healthy, um, concussion protocol and his foot, you know, um, he didn't look totally healthy even before that last play, certainly. So if he were healthy all the way, I'd say four and a half or five would be a fair price here on Kansas City. Um if he doesn't play, though, 
you know, I would assume he plays and I, I think we, we probably would guess that he would play, but we don't know it. Um, you know, and people joking around on Twitter and I don't blame them saying like, I, you know, what kind of neurologist are they going to find? What kind of doctor are they going to find where it's like, you know, they're going to tell this guy what's going to happen. Right. I mean, this is a, um, it's a situation where you'd be surprised if Mahomes doesn't play, but I don't know if he's going to be 100%. And if he doesn't play, I think that they will have a hard time beating Buffalo. I, I don't know that Henny can can win the game for him against Buffalo. At the same time, Mahomes at less than 100%, um, if he's decent, is still an upgrade from Henny. Certainly, uh, healthy Mahomes down to Henny, I think, is seven and a half or eight points. Um, I know some people say you can't you can't um, grade somebody more than five or six points. One player is never worth more than that. I disagree with that. You know, a quarterback in today's NFL that's the best quarterback in the NFL by most people's uh, ratings um, to a average or slightly better than average backup is a pretty big drop. So, you know, this one's hard to make any bet on right now, but I would say if he's healthy, I kind of like the over. Um, I don't even know that I have a lean to the side in this one. I don't know what, what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of impossible to really, you know, have too much of a lean one way or, or the other with the status of Mahomes. I will talk more about this game throughout the week on Tuesday with Brian Blessing, on Wednesday with Kiev O'Neill from the Odds Breakers, then on Thursday with Brad Powers. And, you know, I think one thing about this is that the Browns are pathetic at the second level. I mean, their linebacker position is easily the biggest hole on that team. Linebacker and safety, two positions they will have to address quite a bit here in the offseason. Fortunately, they can. They're okay at corner when Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward are healthy. You know, on the defensive line, you know, you obviously got Miles Garrett, and we'll see what happens with Olivier Vernon going forward. But that linebacker group is really bad. The strength of the Bills' defense, to me, is the linebacker group. I think Matt Milano is one of the better coverage linebackers in the NFL. Trey Edmonds is a very good linebacker. You know, are they able to slow down Travis Kelsey? Because Travis Kelsey, while Mahomes was in the game, was an absolute matchup nightmare. And he is for every team. So can the Bills do better against Kelsey than the Browns wound up doing? And if so, does that keep this game closer? And, you know, again, it kind of depends on the health of Mahomes and sort of, you know, what things kind of look like on the offensive side for the Chiefs. But that was a spot where the Browns, you know, obviously they had that fumble at the goal line with the stupidest effing rule in the, in the entire world. But that's a game that could have become a blowout. It was very close to becoming exactly that. The Browns kept holding the Chiefs in the red zone to field goal attempts. Butker missed one of them. The Browns could have gotten run off the field in the first half of that game. They were able to kind of hang around. Of course, made it a game in the second half and you know really had chances when Mahomes went out. If Mahomes doesn't go out and, and the Chiefs don't kind of bog down, they make some of those halftime adjustments, all of that, that's probably a much different kind of game that puts this line at four and a half, five, maybe five and a half if Mahomes is healthy. So, I guess we'll just wait and see, you know, and, and like you said, I think something that won't get enough play here, the head injury, you know, we're all sensitive to head injuries in the NFL. And I fully understand that the foot's the bigger deal to me from a handicapping standpoint, simply because Mahomes did not look comfortable moving in the pocket, did not look comfortable when he had to scramble and he wasn't stepping into any of his throws and he was airmailing guys and it was affecting him in a big way. I'm kind of more interested in that, you know, for, for lack of sounding, you know, uncaring. I'm more interested in, in the foot injury than I am, you know, the, the possible concussion. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think it it will definitely get talked about a lot less. And we certainly understand why people are talking about the head injury, whatever it ends up being. But, you know, the foot injury is not something that should be overlooked either because Mahomes, while he doesn't run a lot, he's very good at keeping plays alive and he can avoid the blitz very well. You know, teams really can't blitz Mahomes much at all. Um, I think that could change a little bit if he's not totally healthy, even from the foot perspective, certainly. All right, so let's go over to the college basketball side here. And, and again, I mean, that's going to be predominantly what we talk about, uh, you know, throughout the NCAA or, you know, all the way through the NCAA tournament here with Kyle. And, you know, obviously we hope that all the conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament and the Indianapolis bubble go off without a hitch. We'll, you know, wait and see how that kind of plays out. But before we get into all the talking points that we have today, we're talking about some injury notes, some regression teams, some fade and follow stuff. We wanted to spend a couple minutes talking about those back-to-back situations. And over the weekend, you cashed a couple of side plays looking for outliers from game one going into game two. And, you know, I think this is still a very important talking point from a betting standpoint. Yeah, you want to look for those first games that have uh, something really strange that stands out about them. Um, The perfect team to talk about when you come to this is Wright State. You know, the Raiders... um, they've had some wild ones the last few weeks. They won at Oakland 90 to 51. The next day lose 81 to 71. Then the next week they lose at home to Youngstown state without Darius Quisenberry, who's a star uh, 74 to 72. The next day beat them 93 to 55. Then they lose the first game to Cleveland state 66, 64. The next day beat Cleveland state 85 to 49. Those are some drastic splits, obviously. I mean, you're playing the same team and you're beating them by 40 points and losing, you know, um, pretty consistently. Uh, Wright State seems to be a team that, you know, you fade in one game, uh, back them the other game. Question is, you know, you you probably want to wait and see which shows up in the first game and then try to do the opposite in the second game. Um, that happens quite a bit. And I know that, um, you know, a lot of people have been looking for taking favorites who lose in game one and, and backing them in the second game. I think that has been a good strategy overall. I don't have a way to look that one up to know exactly, you know, what those teams have done ATS, but I know that there have been some teams that look really bad in game one that can look very good in game two. We've seen some um, pretty major swings. And I think as you and I were talking about before we came on here today, I think it makes sense that in um, game one, if you pulled off an upset, uh, and then in game two, you're losing, um, especially if you have another big game after that, maybe at the in the second half or toward the end of the game, you kind of throw in the towel. And that's why you see some of these beatdowns, because there have been some really wild score lines uh, and box scores uh, from one game to the next. Another one that stands out is Charlotte. You know, they were losing to UAB there last week on Friday, um, 61 to 37. I think that game was what 41 to nine or something like that at one point. And then they beat them the next day. So I know that a lot of people, um, like to look at the score from the day before and say, Oh man, they, they beat them by 35 the day before. And now they're only laying two points. I have to take the the team that won yesterday by that. I, I think the the biggest cautionary note I would give is to be really careful in those spots, because if those teams are not that drastically different uh, power ratings wise, and they just absolutely blew them out the day before, a lot of these teams have heart and they come back and play a lot better in game two. So um caution about laying the points with the team who drilled the team in game one 
And I would lean toward betting the team who lost in game one, especially if you think that there was something that was an outlier that happened in that first game. A really good example from last week is North Dakota and North Dakota State. North Dakota State had 21 free throws on Friday night to North Dakota zero. I don't know if I've ever seen that before, uh, 21 free throws for one team, zero for the other team. And then in game two, North Dakota State was plus six and a half, and they ended up winning outright in overtime. So um, I think you'll find some more spots like that, and um, I'm trying to pick my spots pretty carefully on sides this year, and it's, it seems to me like the back-to-backs do offer some uh, potential betting uh, betting ideas when it comes to uh, – fading the team that won in the first game or backing the team that lost badly there in that first game. And, and this is also, you know, I mean, it, it's a relatively time consuming process, but for a lot of people that don't have, you know, spreadsheets on top of spreadsheets or models, or, you know, don't understand all a lot of the metrics that are out there, even, you know, some of the things that we talk about, just look for those outliers, man. No, like you said 21 free throw attempts to zero in the first game. That's probably not happening in the second game. And in fact, the second game was, I believe, 22 to 20 uh, for North Dakota State against yeah. North Dakota. So you know, look for those things. It's a very easy thing to look at. If one team is 12 of 21 from three in the first game, it's probably not going to happen in the second game. Go in and see the team that played defense. Do they usually give up a lot of threes and a high percentage of them? If the answer is no, and the team the night before was 12 for 21, Probably not happening again. There's another one Saturday and Sunday, and I actually wrote up a Sunday preview for this game over at bangthebook.com, was Cal State Northridge and Fullerton. In the first game, money came in on Fullerton. Cal State Northridge was off of one of those long pauses. Money hit the board on Fullerton. Northridge wins 86-85. Second game, line opens pretty much right back where it was. It opens in that pick'em range. Fullerton takes money again. This time they win the game. So that's another thing, too, is kind of take a look back at what the market did. See which side got steamed in that game. If that team that took the steam wound up losing, you don't want to blindly follow the market. But generally speaking, I would say it's probably the right side in game two. Yeah, that Northridge example is a good one, too, because I feel like that's uh, kind of a segue to the next thing we'll probably talk about is Northridge injuries are a pretty significant issue right now. TJ Starks is clearly their best player by a lot and he missed both those games they did okay without him in game one because some of the guys off the bench came in there and started making a bunch of shots you know Northridge made 10 threes Um, Brendan Herrick was seven for 10 from three-point range a guy that um, doesn't always even start and then comes in and makes seven threes in the second game he was one for six from three-point range Uh, things certainly regressed to the mean there Fullerton would have been a good play there in that second game. I actually considered betting the over in that game. I wish I would have. Both of the games went over pretty easily. But, but yeah, I think that's a real good example as well of one where, you know, you know something strange happened in the first game because Northridge was without their best player and one of the other best players in Coleman. Um, and they missed both of those guys again in game two, and then they lose. Um, so I think that that was another really good example. And, you know, again, I mean, the box score can tell you a lot of things. You know, if a star player only played 20 minutes in the first game, was it foul trouble? Did he get hurt? Was there something else going on? You know, was there some sort of outlier that could have an impact on game two? And, yeah, you know, it's it's kind of difficult, obviously, to keep up with the schedule and keep up with all these back-to-backs and all of that. But there are opportunities to make money in these back-to-backs. Like I said, you picked off a couple of sides over the weekend – 
And hopefully our listeners will be able to kind of follow up on this here throughout the week and sort of find some of those back-to-back situations where there could be an outlier that winds up leading to a positive EV bet in that second game. As you said, you want to talk about a couple of injuries here. So let's go ahead and do that. Yeah, I mentioned him real quickly a little bit ago. Darius Quisenberry uh, for Youngstown State, certainly the team's best player by large margin. I think Youngstown State is a contender. Um, They're not as good as Wright State. Um, I know they pulled the upset in that game, but Wright State's clearly better than them. They're not as good as them, but they could be the second or third best team in in the Horizon League, which, um, you know, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but the Horizon League is much worse than it used to be. I I remember a few years ago when the Horizon League was very good. uh, Wright State really doesn't have very many other good teams in that Horizon League now, and it seems like they play down to competition sometimes, and then they'll just, you know, blow the doors off the team in the other game. So, um Quisenberry is a real uh, star for Youngstown State. It sounds like he's close to coming back based on what I've read. This team's 3-7-1 and one ATS so far this year. I think this team's a really good buy low when Quisenberry comes back. So if you know he's going to come back, uh, I think Youngstown State's a really good bet on team because without him, they don't have their um, their guy that can score off the dribble himself and also be a good distributor. I know Bohannon has to kind of step into a playmaker role, but he's a bigger guy that, you know, is better in the secondary role. I think Youngstown state has a high upside of Quisenberry's back healthy. And that's an especially important thing because Youngstown state is a very, very, very bad defensive team. So that's a situation where if you lose a scorer, yeah, you're going to wind up looking pretty bad. But the nice thing is, because they're a bad defensive team, because they've been blown out here three games in a row, when Quisenberry does come back, as you said, a good buy low opportunity, you know, we're kind of getting them at a low point where, you know, maybe the odds makers aren't going to pay attention to Youngstown State basketball a whole lot, realize that one of their top scorers, scorers is back to give them a chance to sort of, you know, maybe overshadow how bad they are defensively at times. Right. And I mean, if you look at their schedule, um, they're going to have some pretty good opportunities to win some games. And, um, you know, they, they'll be an underdog in some of these games if they just go straight by Ken Pomeroy's numbers. And, I mean, that's pretty close to what they do in a lot of these games, especially the under-the-radar games. You know, the opener is going to come out almost exactly on Ken Pomeroy's number every time. So uh, sometimes the marketplace will bet it after that. But the opener is going to be uh, pretty much what that comes out at. I think Youngstown State could be a good team to bet on as a short favorite or as an underdog and really um, you know, Pomeroy doesn't have them favored by any more than three points in their games the rest of the season. I think that makes them really good by low candidate uh, going forward. If Quisenberry is healthy. Um, Jamison battle for George Washington out with a concussion, 18.4 points per game. George Washington's a team that to me, they look like they could be a major positive regression team. In general, they've been very unlucky, according to Ken Pomeroy. If you look at where they've been taking their shots from on Haslametrics and what kind of percentage they're shooting, George Washington should have been making more shots than they have so far this year. And they certainly look like a team that could be a buy-low candidate. Jamison Battle, um, if he comes back soon or when he comes back, I think this could be a good team to be taking points with. Um, I haven't really looked at their schedule to see who they're playing Uh, coming ahead but uh, George Washington a team that is not going to be favored against hardly anybody they'll be favored against Fordham because everybody's favored against Fordham but um, George Washington going to be catching quite a few points against teams like Rhode Island and 
and uh, Richmond teams like that. I, I think that betting them as an underdog, if they're healthy, um, could be a good bet. I, I will note that George Washington had a couple people quit the team, uh, Jameer Nelson and um, also Maceo Jack. So they are a little bit shorthanded compared to what they were at the beginning of the season, but um, Bishop's a good player for them. Battle's a very good player when he's healthy. So um, I think that this George Washington team is probably a bit undervalued in general right now. And, and when they get healthier, I'll, I'll want to bet on this team. George Washington on the road at Dayton on Wednesday, just lost by 13 at home to Dayton on Sunday. And then they play at Rhode Island coming up here this following Sunday, but then they play George Mason and Fordham. So maybe a couple of get right spots, especially if battle can come back this week, get a couple of games under his belt or at least a game. And then of course they kind of stepped down in class a little bit. Maybe that'll be a good opportunity to take a look at them. So we got some regression signs here. We got some fade and follow teams. and They'll run through a handful of games here for this week. And again, you know, we're not the kind of show that's going to sit there and tell you what to bet just because we're taking it or something like that. We want to help you sort of find some of these things for yourself, find some of these regression candidates or you know, keep these in mind. Remember these, think about these because these may be some things that could help you not just short term, but over the medium term or the long term as well. I want to ask you about a team that we talked about last week on the show here. That's the Houston Cougars. And as I was looking at them, sort of looking at their statistical profile, they are 333rd in the country in free throw rate against, and their opponents are shooting under 66% at the free throw line. They had six games earlier in the year, kind of going from Thanksgiving to Christmas, where they fouled a ton for whatever reason. It's kind of leveled off since, but that really struck me that, you know, they've committed a lot of fouls, but, you know, haven't really gotten burned by opponents at the free throw line yet. Yeah, I think that's likely to regress a little bit. Houston's a team that um, I wouldn't want to be laying huge amounts of points with. They are going to be laying points quite a bit coming up. Um, Tulsa at home, uh, Cincinnati at home, Tulane on the road. They're going to be laying double digits in all those games. So I think uh, Houston is the team I'd rather bet against. Like you said, committing a lot of fouls, uh, teams shooting that poorly from the free throw line. Um, thing about the AAC is in both college football and college basketball, college football, there's a ton of flags in the AAC every year. And college basketball, there's a ton of fouls in it every single year. I don't exactly know why that is, but it's just, you know, it's a fact. That's what happens. If opponents are shooting that poorly from the line, and they are, as you said, 65.6%, um, and that regresses to the mean, that's a pretty significant um, bet against sign right there because Houston is unlikely to be able to have opponents keep shooting that percentage. And when they're putting them on the line that frequently, that could be a pretty big deal, especially when you're laying 15 points. So I think Houston um, is a very good team. In general, I like Houston as a team. I don't think that they're a team that I'm just anxious to bet against in the long run, but short term here, as that regresses, and I assume it will, because you know if you go back the last couple of years, Houston has fouled quite a bit in both of those years as well. Um, to be fair, 69.4 and 69% the last couple of years, um, free throws for their opponents. So, you know, the AAC is not great at shooting free throws, but um, in conference, you know, you would probably expect something like 70%. Right now they're, they're at 65.6% on the year. And, you know, Houston is going to face some teams that can make some free throws. Houston also, 
not a great offensive team. They're a very good defensive team. And usually with a team like that that's playing low possession game, they're much better at defense than they are offense. I'd certainly shy away from laying 15 or 16 points. All right, so let's stay on the negative side here and talk about a regression candidate for you. And, and we go from a pretty high-profile team in Houston to maybe the second most under-the-radar conference. I guess I'd say the MEAC, probably number one, and maybe the SWAC, number two. Yeah, probably so. And we don't talk SWAC too much on here, but I think this is a pretty good regression candidate. Arkansas Pine Bluff on offense. So this team averaged 0.825 points per possession in SWAC play last year. Now, I, I shouldn't probably have to tell you, I know some some people listening probably don't follow the SWAC too much, but um, nobody shoots very well in the SWAC. It's a, you know, a very fast-paced league that there's a lot of turnovers. Teams don't shoot all that well. But 0.825 points per possession was by far worse than the SWAC last year. This year, they're averaging 1.09 points per possession, which is first in the SWAC ridiculous amount of free throws so far this year their free throw attempts are 59.6 percent of their overall um, field goal attempts so the the free throw to field goal attempts is uh, 59.6 on Ken Pomeroy over 37 percent from three-point range there's no way that can continue I think they're below 25 percent last year so they have one player back Doss who wasn't there last year they're a little bit better on offense than they were a year ago but Pine Bluff no way that they can keep playing the way they have here. Their turnover rate is far too low compared to what it's been the last few seasons as well. So this is a team that's going to have lower scoring games. I'd like to either bet against them or bet some unders in their games. It's a shame we didn't do this segment before Saturday's game for Pine Bluff. They lost 88-53. to They scored 27 of their 53 points at the free throw line. They were 27 of 36. They were 12 for 46 from the floor. They were four of 18 in the mid range, six for 21 at the rim. So that speaks to how bad of an offensive team this actually is. And, you know, unless that uh, ridiculous parade to the free throw line continues, uh, this is definitely a good regression candidate. I like that one quite a bit. Yeah, that's what I I was going to say that myself is we should have done this on Friday because that would have been the perfect one to talk about. But you know, um, Southern is a decent defensive team there in the SWAC, and um, Pine Bluff had put up a huge number on Mississippi Valley State and Alabama State, who are probably the two worst teams in that league, I would say. Um, and and then Pine Bluff plays a decent team in Southern and gets blown away. Um, I lean against Pine Bluff and, and their games coming up here, Alcorn State. Um, Texas Southern, even Prairie View. So I think you could get some betting opportunities to go against them or possibly play unders just because the line gets too high based on, um, you know, their output of 92 against Mississippi Valley State, 91 against Alabama State. That shouldn't continue. All right, so we got a positive regression candidate here, and uh, we're going to go well under the radar once again, which is kind of our thing here, I think, on this show. If you want to know about the SWAC and the Southland and the MEAC, this is the place to do it as we do actually go here to the Southland Conference. Yeah, and I mean, I just real quick, I'll say that um, I think most people who listen to this show have realized it over time. Um, some people who are newer, maybe we should echo what we've said before. Look, the money spends the same whether you bet a game in the Southland or the SWAC as uh, the Big Ten or the ACC. The only difference is 
the odds makers are uh, paying more attention to those games in the bigger conferences, which means there's a greater chance for an edge in these games, which is why we're talking about these games, because uh, we think there's better opportunities there. So trying to help you win and giving you um, information to try to help you better with your um, college basketball bets. Uh, Lamar offense, three-point percentage, they're down from 33.3% last year to 24.3% this year. Now, I don't think Lamar is really that good on offense, but I also don't think they're this bad. You know, this is a team that's only averaging 0.918 points per possession so far this year. Um, They play quickly. If they actually start making some shots, they're going to have some high-scoring games. So we've seen the last couple games, and I I watched the market really closely. As I've said in the past, you know, I feel like it is a strength of mine in most sports that I know which way the line's going to move usually. I think Lamar overs are going to get bet almost every single game. So if you like Lamar overs thinking that they're going to shoot better, I think some people have paid attention to this and it does get steamed up. It also doesn't take a lot of money to move a line significantly in these games, um, these extra games. So certainly something I think you should pay attention to. And if you like the Lamar overs thinking that they are going to shoot better, I think that they could have some higher scoring games. And I, I think we could also say that their opponents are shooting 61% from the free throw line this year. The Southland strikes me as a conference where they probably don't shoot very well from the free throw line in general, but 61% is, is far too low. So Lamar has a lot of um, signs on them that they should have some higher scoring games coming up. And this is a team that, and maybe it's just a byproduct of, of some of the teams that they played in non-conference, but they have picked up the tempo a little bit this year too. So that's one where that's probably part of the reason why their totals are getting bet up. But also, as you said, some positive regression expected on the offensive side and probably some negative regression coming in that free throw percentage. So, you know, like you said, I mean, look, it doesn't matter if you win a bet in the Big Ten or the Big 12 or the Southland or the MEAC or the A-Sun or the WAC or, or whatever else. Look, like we said, the edges are greater in these smaller conferences because these games aren't nearly as scrutinized and the markets are, you know, a little bit softer because really it's a lot of, you know, influential sharper money that hits these markets as opposed to the volume of the major conferences. So yeah, maybe you're listening to this show and you don't give a shit about Lamar. You know, you don't give a shit about Mount St. Mary's that we're going to talk about next, but you should because these are great opportunities to make money in the college basketball betting market. Right. And um, it's not that we never talk about the big games. We do talk about some of those. And if we think there's betting value on a bigger team like Houston, um, uh, we've talked about Gonzaga on here before. We've talked about some of the bigger name teams and we will talk about some of them in the future. But, you know, usually it's harder to find that betting value on those teams like it is in these under the radar. And not many people are talking about these games. And if they are, uh, they're kind of glossing over these games really quickly and, you know, just talking about a few of the players and, and uh, we're trying to look at in depth into stats and seeing what's likely to regress to the mean or what makes them a good fade or follow. So hopefully it's able to help some people make some money, but Mount St. Mary's from the Northeast conference, um, Dan Engelstad, their coach before the year, I read him talking about how he wanted to play really fast this year. And I've talked about how a lot of coaches say they want to play fast. And then you look at what Mount St. Mary's has done. They're using 20 seconds of the 30 second shot clock on average, which is almost as slow as anybody in the country. I think it's bottom five in tempo in the country. So uh, Mount St. Mary's playing really slowly. Their defense, their free throw defense, you know, quote unquote, free throw defense 
81.2% opponents have shot from the line so far this year. Um, a couple of years ago, 72.1%. Last year, 70.5%. Mount St. Mary's defense is pretty good. And the only reason that they've given up a decent amount of points in several of these games is opponents are just burying free throws here. I think Mount St. Mary's unders make some sense to me here going forward because they're able to control the tempo against just about everybody. And, um, you know, when they play in some of these games against, uh, you know, Central Connecticut that they play later this week, there's going to be a total of maybe 130 or 131 or something like that. Um, you know, when they play against an LIU or a, a Fairleigh Dickinson, they're going to get a total of, you know, 135 to 140, somewhere in that range. And I think you could bet some unders in that range because I think if Mount St. Mary's is close enough in the game to where they don't have to play fast because they're way behind, you could see some pretty good unders with them. Well, hopefully that is something that comes to fruition here. So taking a look at, you know, some regression candidates, we talked about Arkansas Pine Bluff down there uh, in the SWAC. We talked about Lamar in the Southland as a positive regression candidate, Pine Bluff a negative, Mount St. Mary's a positive on defense, which would lead towards some unders for them. And of course, we talked a little bit about Houston and how maybe laying big numbers with the Cougars, not a great idea here as their free throw percentage against does regress a little bit as we go forward. So with that, let's talk some fade and follow teams. And, you know, usually I I just, you know, I agree with what you're saying. And then I kind of pose some questions to you. So I want to start with a fade team that I kind of isolate a little bit. See if you think this is a good candidate or not. Starting with UC Riverside out in the Big West Conference, a first year head coach for them. And they are taking a ton of threes here so far this season. Their three-point rate, 42.3%. So 42.3% of their field goal attempts are three-point attempts. And they're shooting 39.3% on them. So they're shooting a lot of threes. They're making a lot of threes. However, defensively, they are 15th in the nation in two-point percentage defense, 43.1%. 18th in the country, 27.9% from three. I've got to think here that not only does their shooting prowess drop off a little bit, but opponents should get a little bit better, and they're 317th in the country in turnover percentage. UC Riverside looks like a pretty good fade candidate to me. Yeah, I like this one. I think that, especially on defense, it doesn't really make sense to me that opponents are shooting that poorly from two-point range when they have no shot blockers. You know, usually if you look at a team that is top 25 in two-point percentage defense – they're going to have multiple shot blockers. They're blocking only 5.7% of shots so far this year, which is 293rd in the country. So they really don't have anybody in there that's that good of a shot blocker. Um, You know, uh, Perry, uh, the big guy for them, is a good offensive player, uh, the St. Mary's transfer, Jock Perry. But he is not a shot blocker. He's a good rebounder, but he's not a shot blocker. And I don't think that this team can keep playing this good on defense. Uh, offensively, I don't know if they can shoot that from three. I mean, that seems awfully high to me too. Um, and when you're shooting that many threes, like you said, um, you would think that, you know, if you go from 39% down to 35 or 36%, that's going to cost you several covers, right? And then, you know, if you're shooting only 60.6% from the free throw line, I can kind of assume that you're probably not going to shoot 40% from three all year. Um, So I I like this one and actually think, you know, just real quickly, they play Bakersfield here on Friday and Saturday in that back-to-back. I like Bakersfield as a team to to back here this year. The question is, you know, do you want to bet Bakersfield in the spot coming back from Hawaii 
where they just won two games in a row at Hawaii. Really impressive games. You could argue that this isn't a very good spot for Bakersfield, especially in that first game. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on whether Riverside would be a good fade in that first game or whether you want to wait and see? I mean, I think I'd be comfortable fading them, you know, really in both games. I think fading them in the first game makes some sense, kind of given, you know, what we've seen here. Also, you know, coming back from Hawaii, but not playing from Sunday or from Saturday to Friday, I think they're kind of in an okay spot. And it does feel like, you know, in the six conference games here that Bakersfield's played so far, lost by a point on the road at Long Beach State in the first one, and they've won five straight, uh, four of them by double digits. So maybe Bakersfield kind of rounding into form. And as you said, I remember you talking about them when we talked about teams that changed conferences as a team that you wanted to play on. And maybe this is just a convergence here of these two ideas. So I don't know if it's a premium look ahead, but I do think Friday Bakersfield over Riverside's a, a probably a pretty good look. Yeah, I, I will consider this play. I'm not sure if I'll bet it. I'm hoping we could get more than a full possession here. Um, Riverside maybe laying three and a half or four points, something like that. So um, if you can get more than a full possession, this will be a possible play for me. I got to look at this one a little bit more, but Bakersfield's a team I want to bet on. And I do agree with you that Riverside could be a good fade. All right. Who else are you looking to fade here? So uh, teams I want to fade here, Northeastern, uh, they no longer have those elite scoring options that they've had in the past. Um, again, the CAA is way down, way down from a few years ago. You remember when the CAA was a league that was very good mid-major. Um, they're not very good now. Um, I know that they were a top 10 or 12 conference in the country. Now they're you know, barely in the top 20. I think defensive regression is likely for Northeastern too. I don't think this team's the best defensive team in the conference. Um, they're nine and three ATS this year. This team's going to be laying points in a lot of games coming up. And I think Northeastern will play in a lot of close games. So I think the market is going to be too high on them at this point. So while I don't think they're a bad team, I think they're a good sell high. And it's always important to find those. And, and again, you know, look, they're off to a 6-0 and start in conference play. And, and like you said, this conference is not great. A lot of those games very close. Three of those games decided by five or fewer points. This is one of those things where unless you're paying close attention to college basketball, you're going to see wins over Hofstra and College of Charleston and be really excited about what Northeastern has done. But it probably says more about how those teams have fallen off instead of Northeastern, you know, being as good or better than the level that they've had the last couple of years. So this is one where, again, you don't want to take things for granted year in and year out, particularly in these low and mid majors where, you know, like one or two transcendent players for your program could leave and the bottom could kind of fall out. These aren't Baylor's. These aren't Dukes. These aren't North Carolina's. They don't just reload with talent. They got to deal with, you know, they got to play the cards that they're dealt and a lot of times people will look at this and say, oh, yeah, I remember Northeastern being, you know, that really good team. And, oh, Hofstra, they were great a couple of years ago. And, you know, College of Charleston, they always seem to be there for the conference tournament and all of that. You really got to pay close attention to those details in the mid and low majors where, you know, name recognition doesn't mean the same that it means in the power conferences. Exactly. You know, some of those 
best players that they had, if they lose one or two of those guys, they could drop a lot. You know, this is not a team that just reloads right away. So I think Northeastern's a team that you don't want to be laying a lot of points with here going forward. Um, I didn't really intentionally uh, put so many Southlands, Southland uh, teams on here, but I just realized here we go back to the Southland. Um, Sam Houston State, eight and three ATS. I think they're a quality team, but they're overvalued at this point. 1.147 points per possession in league play. They're not going to keep that up. This is a team that last year offensively averaged 1.03 points per possession in the Southland. I don't think this is a very good offensive team. Um, they are really doing well so far. They're 5-0 and in the uh, Southland. I'm looking to see when they play. Okay, so they, they play Stephen F. Austin on the 31st. Um, we'll revisit this one um, when it comes to that, but I think Stephen F. Austin's a good play in that game. I continue to think that Stephen F. Austin is is better than what odds makers have them rated at right now. Uh, the Lumberjacks usually round into form in Southland Conference play, but Sam Houston State, um, they're going to uh, be a team that I would look to bet against in general. I think eight and three ATS and shooting that well, unsustainable from them. They're going to uh, force teams to turn it over a lot, like most teams in the Southland do. Certainly, they also turn it over a lot themselves. And right now in the Southland play, they're shooting 43.6% from three-point range. Definitely not going to continue. So uh, they were 33.6% from three-point range last year. And two years ago when they were amazing, uh, had multiple good shooters, they were 397 So they're shooting too well right now. I think the price is getting too high on this team. Well, maybe a fade opportunity on Sam Houston State coming up here on Wednesday. They take on Abilene Christian, the best defensive team in the Southland Conference, the best team in the country at forcing turnovers at 29.1%. Opponents shooting 23.4% from threes. So depending on the number there for Wednesday night, Abilene Christian might be a good look there in the Southland matchup against Sam Houston State. One other potential fade team I want to ask you about here, Kyle. And in fact, I really like this one. And, and this one's, I think, a, a lot more higher profile than a lot of the teams that we've talked about here so far today. Boise State. Boise State is 269th in strength of schedule, according to Bart Torvik, 294th, according to Ken Palm. They lost their opening game, but they've won 12 straight since. They lost the opener to Houston by 10. They've won 12 in a row since, but they've only beaten one team in the top 190, according to Torvik, and that's BYU. They won 74 to 70 on the road back on December 9th. Coming up here, Boise State faces Fresno State, who's just outside the top 190. But then the rest of their conference play schedule, Colorado State, Nevada, UNLV, Utah State, San Diego State, all in those you know back-to-back sort of situations with a day off in between. I feel like Boise State is going to be inflated too much based on their performance so far as their strength of schedule is really going to step up quite a bit here going forward. Yeah, you know, I like Boise State as a team, so I'm I'm a bit hesitant to say I just want to bet against them because I think with um, adding in uh, Marcus Shaver and if Emmanuel Acott is healthy, I know he's missed the last uh, three or four games for them. I think Boise State does have a high upside. It's just that the market is getting really high on them. So I agree that when they're laying points here, they're going to be laying a lot of points against Fresno State. Um, I think that could be a decent go against. I kind of hope Boise wins the first game by a lot, kind of like they did against Air Force so that we could 
um, to go against them in the second game when, you know, against the Air Force in the first game, they went by 19. Second game, they went by 11, don't cover the spread. They were behind at halftime in that second game. So I think I'm hoping for something like that to happen. And then at Colorado State and at Nevada, probably get some chances to fade them in those games. I do think Boise State, like I said, is a good team. It's just that you are right that, you know, there's a big step up in class coming and Boise State is a team that's 12 and one. They've won 12 straight games. They've really only played, you know, one team that's good that they've beaten and that's BYU on the road. That was a nice win. Other than that, no impressive wins on their schedule and, and some really big blowouts against teams that aren't good at all. All right, so we go from the negative to the positive here. And I think it's important to talk about some positives because we you know, really haven't done too much of that on today's show as far as college basketball side goes. I want to start with a follow team here. And in fact, they play tonight. So maybe this is a good opportunity to back St. Joseph's. St. Joseph has only played two teams outside the top 80, according to Torvik. They lost to Drexel by four, beat Albany by three. They take on LaSalle tonight, and I wonder if this is a play-on spot because St. Joe's, according to Torvik, has played the fourth hardest schedule in the country and the fifth, according to Ken Palm. Now they're playing a LaSalle team tonight that's much more on their level. Yeah, St. Joe's, I think, is a team that would be a good team to bet on in the long run. Um, you know, this could easily have been we talk, one we talk about in the injury spot. Uh, Ryan Daly has been out for several games in a row for them. And, and honestly, you know, they've actually played pretty decent without him. They lost a close game um, to Rhode Island without him in overtime on the road. They beat Albany at home. They lost not that badly against Davidson. 14 points isn't terrible against them. And like you said, they're stepping down in class. If Daly plays in any of these games coming up, I think they're a really good bet on team. If he doesn't play, I lean toward betting them. Um, he certainly means a lot to their offense. Um, this is a guy that, you know, is their best player, um, is their best scorer, certainly. So um, he didn't shoot it well before he got injured this year, but I think that he would really help this team quite a bit. And the way that they play extremely fast and they're not very good on defense, they do need some good scorers. So um, St. Joe's is a team that I kind of lean toward betting without him. And if he comes back, I really do want to bet on them. LaSalle tonight, and then two with George Mason on the road on Wednesday and then at home on Saturday. So maybe they get daily back and maybe some good opportunities there uh, to back St. Joseph's. Who are you looking to back here? And is this a short-term look or a long-term look? So we haven't we haven't given the Big Sky any love lately. I don't even know if we've talked about them the last couple um, shows. And I, I like the Big Sky quite a bit. So let's talk Big Sky for a minute. Montana, a team that's 2-8 and eight ATS so far this year. Uh, they've been pretty unlucky if you look at the um, stats. You know, Montana just lost at home to Northern Arizona, and Northern Arizona is really bad. So I know it'd be easy to say, wow, they just lost to them. You know, what do you what do you want to bet on them for? If you look at their games coming up, they're playing Sacramento State later this week. They're not a good team at all. Uh, I'm not saying Montana's necessarily going to win those games, but they certainly have opportunities. They play Portland State coming up before long. Weber State's not the team that they used to be. They still have Idaho on the schedule. Montana is a good defense, though. Um, I'd say they're probably one of the top two or three defenses in that league. The problem has been their shooting has been pretty weak, especially from two-point range. Honestly, this is a team that doesn't make very much sense when you look at their profile. They shoot 37% from three and 43.7% from two-point range. Um, 
78% from the free throw line. So kind of a riddle there to try to figure out this Montana team. But I do think that the big sky is weak enough that Montana, who has a, a good home court advantage, even without you know many fans being allowed to go to those games. And I, honestly, I don't know what their rule is as far as fans, but Montana is at altitude. Um, they, they're going to have a good home court advantage. This is a team that I still think is pretty well coached. And you're not going to be laying a big price with them like you used to in the past. You know, usually you'd be laying nine or 10 points with them. Now it's going to be, you know, Montana minus one or two against some of these decent teams. And I think that they could be a good bet in some of those games. All right. So let's take a look at some games here for this week. And one thing I wanted to ask you about here is with Bart Torvik's list. And again, we we love Torvik. We love the tables. Everything's color coded. It's very, very easy to see. There are three teams in Torvik's top 49 that are outside of the top 100 in adjusted defensive efficiency. One is Iowa, one is LSU, and the other is UCLA. And with that, we take a look at a very high-profile game here on Tuesday night between Alabama and LSU. So LSU, you know, a very strong team, an incredible offensive profile, but they are outside of the top 100 in terms of adjusted defensive efficiency. So my question here is, in a game against Alabama, expected to be played to a very high scoring number, is that something that comes back to bite the Tigers here? You know, I don't think LSU is really that good. The SEC is not very good in basketball. This is not college football. You know, we're talking about a conference that's really not very good. Alabama is really well coached. So I don't want to bet against Alabama. Um, Bama does have some injuries. Jordan Bruner's out with a knee injury. Herb Jones was expected to be out for a while, and then he went ahead and played through his minor injury their last game against Arkansas, a game where they won 90 to 59. I believe they closed as a two and a half point favorite, two point favorite, something like that. They went 90 to 59. Um, This game, I think I like the over the best, you know, as I look at this one, it's hard to total a game at 165 or 164 or something for odds makers, unless it's a Citadel total or something like that, or maybe Bryant. But, um, I think this total is probably going to be around 160, maybe 161. Last year's games between these two teams were played at a very fast pace, 166 and 170 points. So I I think they've proven that they can do it before. Alabama's playing really fast again this year. LSU playing, um, you know, a little bit faster than they did last year, at least on offense. And offensively, LSU's fifth in efficiency in the country. Alabama's 21st you know these two teams can both score if, if you see a game that's probably going to be 76 77 possessions um, it's pretty easy to see that this could be a high scoring game my lean in this one is Alabama and I do think that LSU could be a good fade here going forward Will Wade's teams have not been good on defense the thing that's also a really big problem for them they give up a lot of second chance points and I don't like teams that give a lot of second chances we've talked about before that rebounding margin is very important when it comes uh, to against the spread betting. So I think that LSU could be a good fade here going forward. Yeah, I definitely like Alabama in this spot here on Tuesday night. So I don't know, it's not a premium look ahead for me because I I don't sell anything, but (laughs) I do like Alabama in this one for LSU here. They are 335th in the nation in three point rate against 46% of field goals against them are three pointers and opponents are only shooting 27.6%. Now, opponents are shooting 52% on two-point shots. So I don't think this is a great defensive team 
or anything like that. I think they've just been fortunate that teams have not shot the ball well against them. Alabama's about average in terms of shooting threes, but Alabama's the much better defensive team here in this game. I do like the Crimson Tide. I mean, I see that you know, Torvik's got this one about LSU minus two. I think I'll have a piece of Alabama money line tomorrow night. I think that's a good look. I, I like Alabama and the over in this one. So maybe a couple possibles for this game. Um, I'm not sure that this one will make my card, but I do like it. And I think that LSU going forward, you know, especially when they're laying prices, you know, you can see several games going forward, actually. Uh, they play Texas Tech, too. That's a, That should be interesting on the 30th. So um, some good games for LSU going forward, and I hope that we can kind of revisit this team because I think they could be a good fade. All right, let's jump ahead to Wednesday here with a game that I was looking at between Richmond and St. Bonaventure, a couple of the better teams here in the Atlantic 10. And something I want to ask you about, because I'm sure people kind of, you know, try to contort themselves to fit this narrative. Richmond lost at home to St. Bonaventure earlier in the year, 69 to 66. Now Richmond with a chance at revenge on the road. Does that factor into your handicap at all? It does. I think that, um, you know, road revenge has been a really good angle ATS wise. You can look that one up. Um, Bet labs have some strong angles on that, that, you know, you lose at home, you go on the road, you really want to beat that team at, at their place based on the fact that, you know, they, they already beat you at home. So I do think that matters a lot. I think it matters a lot more in college basketball than it does in college football. Obviously football, you don't play teams twice unless you play in the conference uh, title game. So people like to say, well, revenge, because they beat them two years ago and, and, and football. And it's like, well, a lot of the guys are gone that were there before in college basketball, those same players are playing. I think it matters a lot. Um, uh, in your notes, you also mentioned that uh, the first game was played to 64 possessions, which I think is a good point because, you know, I think Richmond wants this to be a higher scoring game than what that first game was. So we'll see if they can get more of their tempo in this game. Richmond is better offensively um, where I think that these teams, you know, St. Bonnie is a team that to me better on defense than they are on offense. Uh, they don't shoot the ball very well, but, you know, defensively, they're pretty solid, especially um, guarding the three-point line. So I don't know that I have anything strong on this game, to be honest. But, you know, um, I could see wanting to take the road revenge angle. I want to ask for some clarification here on the notes that you sent over. Uh, when you were talking about the Tennessee State game that you wanted to take a look at, was that the one against Southeast Missouri State on Tuesday night? Um, SIU Edwardsville. Is that still on the schedule? I don't, I don't see it on Torvik. Maybe was there an adjustment to the skit? And that's the thing too, is there have been several COVID things and, and all that going on. So what night is that game that you're looking at? Um, uh, on Ken Palm, it's showing on Thursday night, SIU Edwardsville at Tennessee state. I do know that there have been several COVID issues in that conference. So I'm kind to trying to uh, kind of look this one up as we. It, it's so frustrating because, you know, these schedules are just so incomplete. But yeah, I do see it listed on, on ESPN.com here. Yeah. Uh, ESPN Plus broadcast for anybody that actually wants to watch this game <laughs> between SIU Edwardsville and Tennessee State. What is it about this Thursday night game that you're looking at? Just if, if you watch this game, don't tell Adam because he's definitely going to give you shit. I mean, you know, this is this is like watching um, ULM football, right? Oh, um, boy. Maybe not that bad. Maybe not that bad. But um, I like Tennessee State in this game. I think they could be a good bet here. Um, Ken Pomeroy has it minus four. This one's minus four. I'm probably going to be betting on Tennessee State. Edwardsville has not played in a long time. 
Um, if my records are right here, it looks like they haven't played since December 18th. Is that what you see as well? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they have over a month break. Edwardsville is not very good. They've pulled off a couple road wins uh, against teams that really aren't very good. They had a nice win over uh, St. Louis Pharmacy. <laughs> so, oh, okay. Um, I, yeah, I mean, because we all know about St. Louis Pharmacy's basketball team, but um, Tennessee State is a team that is due for some positive regression. Look at their shooting percentages on the year. 28% from three-point range. In conference, 30%. I think this team is definitely better than what they've shown so far this year. Talent-wise, they're certainly better than their record. They've lost a lot of close games. I think this is a good spot for Tennessee State. If this game comes to fruition, and I will say a couple of these that we've talked about have been a little bit frustrating because when I talked about all oh, these teams on a long COVID pause and here they come back and then that game ends up getting canceled. So certainly possible this one gets canceled, but I like Tennessee State in this game. St. Louis Pharmacy, huh? Yeah. I, so like, <laughs> I wonder what the mascot for St. Louis Pharmacy. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up here while we're talking about the second game, which ironically enough, is actually here in the OVC, which, you know, I think is a pretty good mid-major conference to take a look at. But this one between Jacksonville State and Murray State, and I think it was a couple of weeks ago we talked about Austin P and Murray State and, and, you know, the rematch game between those two teams that, you know, Austin P won 74 to to 70. Murray State is one of those teams that we just take for granted being good year in and year out, being one of those quality – you know, mid to low major types of teams. And this year, they're really not. And when I look at this game here against Jacksonville State, who I think is a very, very well-coached team, you know, they're a team that played very closely with Belmont, 98 to 91, a game with only 74 possessions, though. But Belmont was the first Division One team to make more than 10 three-pointers against Jacksonville State. I kind of feel like the Gamecocks are in a bounce-back spot on Thursday night against a Murray State team that may be overpriced based on reputation. Yeah, do you have um, offhand what Torvik has this number at? Torvik has this one at Murray State minus 3.1. Yeah, I, I was just going to say that Ken Palm has this game at 8, and that is certainly too high. You know, I saw 8. Um, Haslametrics has 1. So uh, this is a really interesting spot. If they if they hang an 8 here, because Ken Pomeroy really has that, you have to take Jacksonville State. That's definitely too many points. So let's uh, let's circle this game. Um, this will definitely be a premium play if Jacksonville State's getting eight points. There's no way that they're eight points worse than Murray State at this point. I think that Ray Harper is probably a top two or three coach in this league. Um, you know, they lost at Eastern Kentucky in overtime, a game that they were ahead quite a bit of the game. Um, they won at South Alabama on the road. They lost by one at Moorhead State. Murray State has really not been very good this year, like you said. They lost at home against Moorhead State. Um, and I know Moorhead State's a bit of a rival to them. They've, they've played some tough games against them over the years, but Moorhead State's really not very good now. They lost at Eastern Illinois, a team that's not good. Um, you know, this is a team that also lost by 17 to Middle Tennessee State. So Murray State is not what they've been in the past. And I think they're, they are still being priced a bit as if they are. Uh, let's really hope that we see an eight in this game. Okay. I have to compose myself here for a second. The University of Health Sciences and Pharmacy in St. Louis, the mascot, they are the eutectics. Now, I consider myself a relatively smart person. I used to do okay watching Jeopardy. 
I had to look up what the hell a eutectic is. E-U-T-E-C-T-I-C. A eutectic mixture is defined as a mixture of two or more components, which usually do not interact to form a new chemical compound, but which at certain ratios inhibit the crystallization process of one another, resulting in a system having a lower melting point than either of the components. Wow. So that is the mascot. That's a hell of a mascot right there. The University of Health Sciences and Pharmacy in St. Louis. That I have to say, you know, Adam, you and I have done a lot of shows, but is that like a, that? That's probably some new record, right? As far as like uh, going down a rabbit hole and finding some really solid information. Oh I like God. that. I, <laughs> I mean, I okay. Well, now I understand why they're not good at basketball, I think. <laughs> right, right. They spend so much time trying to figure out eutectic that you know, they, they can't put it too much into the basketball court. But yeah, that's... I just, I just read the definition. I don't even know what the hell I was talking about. I don't... I, I was going to say, I still don't really know either. But but uh, I do know that that's not a, exactly a great mascot. And uh, at the same time, you know, if you're trying to figure out a mascot for that school you know you have a tough job so you have to be fair to the person that decides who who the mascot is for a team like that but yeah that that one's uh next level as far as finding something really solid that nobody would have known if somebody knew that before now i think you should contact us on twitter or something because i can't imagine i mean i've never heard of anything like that especially that being their their mascot that's that's solid info i like that so apparently their mascot's name is morty and he wears a lab coat (laughs) <laughs> he kind of looks like a smart version of the wichita state shocker mascot okay oh man okay anyway i know I, i'm gonna be I'm gonna, sh- <laughs> I'm gonna be showing my son this mascot later today and he's gonna be asking a bunch of questions about it now he's gonna grow up to want to be a pharmacist <laughs> well that'd be all right that's not a bad job it's not a bad right. job at all right all right anyway compose myself here for the last game that we're <laughs> going to talk about <laughs> God, we've never had a show go off the rails uh, like that. I don't think, <laughs> it's, um, but it went off the rails in a good way. I think I still don't know what I'm, t- I, I don't even know what the hell I just said. It's kind of like the scene in old school where Will Ferrell blacks out during the debate. Oh yeah. I, yeah. Just, I, I have no idea what I said. Anyway, if, if any of our listeners out there have gone to the university of health sciences and pharmacy in, uh, in St. Louis, um, I'm glad you got a mention on today's show. All right. Lastly here from the big sky conference, you mentioned we haven't talked enough about the big sky. So we'll do it again here to finish today's show. Eastern Washington and Northern Colorado coming up here on Thursday night. What is it about this one you're looking at? So Eastern Washington just lost at home to Southern Utah, 99 to 94. And the second game of back to back. If you look at that game, um, Southern Utah was 30 for 34 from the free throw line. Tavian Jones was 10 for 10. Uh, 34 free throws is almost unheard of. And Eastern Washington's not a team that fouls very much at all, usually. Um, So I think this Eastern Washington team is probably the best team in the big sky, or at least has the highest upside. Um, They're top two or three for sure. And Eastern Washington in a bounce back spot here against the Northern Colorado team that is still a decent team, but I think that they are being priced higher than what they should be at this point. I see 
Um, Ken Pomeroy has this game minus four. Um, I don't know what the rest of them have it at. I think four is probably a bit too short. I was hoping, hopefully maybe three and a half, three, we might be able to get because Northern Colorado probably gets bad at home by some people who remember that they've been good the last couple seasons, but Northern Colorado is not nearly as good as they were last year or the year before. So I think that this is a good spot to bet Eastern Washington here in a bounce back um, uh, coming off a game where we just talked about, you know, when you play a game and, and you have this really strange set of results, uh, 30 for 34 from the free throw line to beat you only by four or five points in that game, Eastern Washington was ahead for much of that game. So I think this is a really good bounce back spot for Eastern Washington. I kind of wonder if the under might be a decent look here too, because in that second game for Eastern Washington, they shot 43 three-pointers. They had 22 three-point attempts in the first game, 175-63. I don't know if they got lazy in the second game or or maybe tried to make some sort of adjustment, but putting up 43 three-pointers probably won't happen in this game against Northern Colorado, who, by the way, number one in the country in three-point rate against 21.6%. Yeah, that's that. I think that's a good lean as well, and you're probably going to get a total in the mid-140s in this game, so... Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll think that uh, Eastern Washington laying the points and the under is a good way to look here in this one. I know a lot of times people say if you like the underdog, you like the under, but that's not um, you know exclusive. It doesn't have to be that way. I think Eastern Washington likely wins this game and covers. Um, I think I like the other one a little bit better, SIU Edwardsville and uh, Tennessee State, if it's actually played. I think Tennessee State is my strongest look here, but I also like Eastern Washington laying the points here. Well, a lot of good information here on today's show, and now you also know what a eutectic mixture is. So uh, we're a multifaceted program here on ATS Radio, and uh, Kyle Hunter joins me every Monday, professional better and handicapper from huntersportspicks.com. And what's happening over at the website right now, man? So head over to huntersportspicks.com. If you haven't signed up for the free picks newsletter, sign up for that. I'll be sending out some information on how to get my plays uh, free of charge. They're here coming up in the next week or two. I have a uh, kind of special offer planned. Um, it's going to be something with charity where you can give something to charity and send me something back uh, just to show that you've done that. And then I'll give you some days for free just to try to give back. So I'll have that coming up here soon. Also, if you want the premium plays for a longer period of time, subscriptions have been um, lowered for the college basketball season, NBA as well. Um, you can sign up for that at huntersportspicks.com. Follow me at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter if you don't already. Yeah, make sure you do that. Make sure you tune in to our later editions this week of ATS Radio as well as next Monday's show here with Kyle. Kyle Hunter, professional better and handicapper, huntersportspicks.com, at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter. Appreciate the time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining me, and we'll talk to you again next week. Always fun, man. Thanks. There you go. Once again, Kyle Hunter, at Kyle Hunter Picks on Twitter, huntersportspicks.com is the website. Coming up on Tuesday, we'll chat NFL, AFC, and NFC Championship games with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We'll also talk about the American Express, this week's golf tournament, and talk about what we saw over the first few days of the NHL season as well. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.